You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It would be impossible to be saved without His work taking place within the hearts of Christians. So, therefore, it's not through religion whereby we are saved. It's not through baptism. It's not through our giving. It's not through good works. And it's, and it's not to say that those exercises don't have a special place uh, in our Christian experience. They do, and God can use those things. But there must be a new birth by the Spirit. In today's message, Pastor Mike will warn you about maintaining a works-based faith. A works-based faith simply means attempting to work or do good things for God in hopes of attaining right standing with God. This idea undermines the very fabric of what it means to be saved by Jesus. Jesus died because we can't achieve righteousness on our own. He died so that His righteousness could be imputed to us. He died on the cross so that we didn't have to earn our salvation. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 as he begins his message, Set Apart for God. only last week that we began our new series of studies in the book of first of Peter and that message served as our introductory message to this book of the Bible and in that study we talked a little bit about uh, the writer uh, of this book who is Peter we talked about his character we talked about the transforming work that God had done uh, in and through his life we also talked about some of the circumstances surrounding uh, Peter writing this uh, book of the Bible we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to begin by reading verses 1 and 2. And I think that this is a pretty important uh, topic that we're going to be treating. So verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus uh, Christ, to the pilgrims or strangers of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter is writing. Uh, to persecuted believers. Remember we talked about that. We talked about how they became uh, persecuted believers last time. So again, listen to that uh, message. Who were living at this time in the principal cities of the world. Verse 2. Notice the way that he refers to them. The elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So once again, okay, so now as we move into verse 2 here in chapter 1, 
we discover the means by which believers are brought into the family of God. And that becomes our first point, so write that down, brought into the family of God. Okay, so how are we brought into the family of God? Well, it's through the sanctification of the Spirit. That is the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, the word sanctification literally means to set apart, sanctify, to set apart. So that's one important part of the Spirit of God's ministry, that is to set apart unto salvation all who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It would be impossible to be saved without His work taking place within the hearts of Christians. So, therefore, it's not through religion whereby we are saved. It's not through baptism. It's not through our giving. It's not through good works. And it's, and it's not to say that those exercises don't have a special place uh, in our Christian experience. They do, and God can use those things. But there must be a new birth by the Spirit. Remember when Jesus was addressing, in John's Gospel in chapter 3, one of the Pharisees, his name was Nicodemus, and he was talking about uh, the new life. He was talking about entering into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus said to Nicodemus in chapter 3, he said, You must be born again, that is to enter into the kingdom of God. And so it's the result of and the work of the Holy Spirit whereby that takes place. That is the Spirit imparting new life, preparing us for eternity, enabling us to flourish and to grow in our walk and our relationship with the Lord. Now, not only does the Spirit instill new life in the believer, but he enters to make his abode with us, never to depart. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. Jesus said in John's Gospel in, four, in chapter 14, and verse 16, referring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. So, the idea here is, the Spirit is our constant friend companion, and source of strength. If we would only know this truth, this is so very important that we grasp this truth, that we take hold of it. And if we did, what an effect it would have on all of us, on our thinking, and the way that we conduct ourselves. You say, what do I mean by that? Well, more than anything else, we'll realize that we don't have to give place to our fleshly nature. We don't have to be overcome by temptation or sin. In the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to ask you to turn there with me, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, in verses 19 and 20, Paul reminds us there, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, notice that, when you have, uh, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So think about that then. What a privilege. Because wherever we go, whatever we do, the Spirit of God dwells within us. He guides us, all made possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have been purchased by Jesus to heed the direction of the Spirit in every endeavor, in every choice, in every decision that we uh, make. Now, that brings us to our second point, 
this evening. Let's go back to verse 2 here in our text, and that is the doctrine of election. Notice Peter tells us there that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, i got to admit that the doctrine of election is a pretty weighty uh, subject. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Ephesians, for example, in chapter uh, 1, Ephesians chapter 1, there in verse 4, we are told, just as he chose us in him, notice God did the choosing, in him is a reference to Jesus, so God the Father chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, even before the world uh, was spoken into existence, before we even came forth from our mother's uh, womb, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. That's the reason why he chose us. We're going to uh, talk some more about that in just a moment. And without blame, before him in love. So God chose us in Christ. Now, one of the things that I want you to uh, take away from this is that there would be no election whatsoever for anybody apart from the person of Jesus uh, Christ. And listen, we know little or nothing of the secret transaction of eternity. But we can tell if we are included in it by a very simple test. In John's Gospel, in chapter 6, in verse 37, Jesus said, All whom the Father gave to me will come to me. So, what then do we conclude? Well, if you've come to Jesus, if you're attracted to him, Guess what? You've been chosen. Remember when, when you were in uh, uh, grade school, in your science class, and probably uh, your science teacher uh, working with you, and one of the lessons had to do with uh, magnets and magnetism, and remember the steel uh, fillings that were drawn to the magnet? Even as the Spirit draws us to Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, Jesus, referring to the ministry and the operation of the Spirit, told us that when the Spirit comes, he shall testify of me. Paul tells us that no one calls him Lord, but by the Spirit of God. So it's that work of the Holy Spirit drawing us to Christ, even as these steel fillings are drawn to a magnet. And so anyway, encourage yourself. Encourage your heart and lay claim to the blessings and responsibilities of this wonderful supernatural uh, calling because you do have that aptitude for Christ. Now, I want you to also notice concerning our election, here Peter tells us, according to the foreknowledge of uh, God. Okay, so here we are given some insight into this process of God electing us. You see, from all of eternity, God knew who would accept his offers of mercy and salvation. In the King James Version of your Bible, and I'd rather uh, prefer this translation, in the 90th Psalm, in verse 9, we are told that we spend our days as a tale that's been told. So for God, every day, although it unfolds before us every day, for God, it's like a rerun. So God knows our end from the beginning. And therefore, he knew those 
who would bow their hearts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and invite him to come and be their Lord and Savior. And on that basis, they were chosen, they were elected. And their name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So do you understand that? And that's the reference to the foreknowledge of uh, God. You know, let me, let me illustrate this for you. I usually use this. I don't know if it's a good example or, or not. But uh, when we, as men, go on our annual men's retreat, uh, outside of the times of teaching, you know, the guys like to get together and knock around and, and uh, you know, knock heads and play basketball and play football. But uh, there's always a time of choosing a size. And two fellows are appointed uh, captains, and then they usually flip a coin for the first uh, choice. And they base their choice on the knowledge of the people who are going to participate in the uh, contest and on their ability to be able to uh, perform. And like, for example, if, if I'm the captain and I've uh, been elected to be the quarterback, I'm going to choose someone as a receiver who has the ability to jump because that means that I'll be able to throw the football up high and he'll be able to jump higher than everyone else who's defending him and get the ball before he comes down. And so we base our choices and decisions on their ability to perform. And isn't that exactly what God has done based on the foreknowledge of God? He knew how that we would perform. He knew that as he was orchestrating all of the details in our life, leading up to making that choice and decision for his son Jesus Christ as his Lord and as our Lord and Savior, that we would make that choice. So I hope that that's a good example and an illustration of this. Now let me ask you a couple of questions. Why did God choose us? And why are we Christians? Well, that brings us to our third point this evening, and that is, why have we been set apart? That is, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. Well, someone may be thinking and may respond to that question by saying, well, to enjoy our Christianity, to be happy, to have the assurance of heaven, to receive help for our problems when we are in need. And yes, all of those answers would be uh, correct, but the scripture is clear here. Notice, go back to our text there in verse 2. We are set apart, we are told, by the Spirit, verse 2, unto obedience. So then, here is one of the most important purposes of our salvation, our election. That is, that we might obey God. You see, we need to understand that obedience is absolutely paramount in our Christianity. And without it, we cannot please God. And so to that end, before the world was even created, God saw, he foreknew the disobedient and rebellious spirit that would mark all of mankind, men and women alike, knowing our own inadequacy to overcome it, he predestined a plan of redemption whereby all who believe in Christ could be saved and also through the Spirit, through the work of the Spirit, have the ability, the capacity, and the power to obey. And because of God's grace and mercy, and making such a satisfactory provision, we owe Him our strict obedience. 
you know, I'll give you an example of this. Remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus? It's recorded first in the book of Acts in chapter 9. In fact, we just uh, closed out our series in the book of Acts two Thursdays ago. So I hope that you had joined us and you remember uh, that text of Scripture that depicted Paul's conversion experience on the road to uh, Damascus. And there he was traveling to apprehend Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem because of their newfound faith in Christ to stand a trial before the Sanhedrin. But in spite of that, he is wonderfully apprehended by Jesus Christ. And because of that apprehension, uh, we are told that Paul asked this question, Lord, what will you have me to uh, do? And you know what? And I think that this is a part of every one of our own experience, our conversion experience. You know, when God gets a hold of us, we need to ask the same question. God, Jesus, what would you have me to do? But therein lies the problem. Because I think some Christians are afraid to ask God what he wants them to do. To ask him that question. Because, you know, the truth of the matter is I think that they know what he wants them to do. But they rather choose to disobey. Rather than to enjoy God's best through a life of obedience. They rather do their own thing. Listen, Paul wanted above all else to obey God. And I believe that that's the very uh, reason why that Paul was so mightily used by him. Gang, nothing is more satisfying to the heart of God than the obedient believer. No gift is held in higher value or esteem. Remember in our present series on Sundays in the book of 1 Samuel, in chapter 15, when God, through the prophet Samuel, is uh, uh, instructed to go and to completely wipe out all of the Amalekites, men, women, children, their herds, their cattle, uh, just everything. They were, uh, Saul and the armies of Israel were to absolutely obliterate them off of the face of the uh, earth. So anyway, after uh, what was supposed to uh, happen in that uh, campaign, Samuel comes out and visits with Saul, and he hears some cattle bleeding in the uh, background. And uh, Samuel begins to ask Saul certain questions. And as a response uh, and answers to those questions, Samuel also found out that not only did he save some of the uh, cattle for himself uh, and distributed uh, the best to some of his uh, men, uh, but he also kept the king of the Amalekites as a hostage. I guess he was looking for some kind of a, a ransom. And so how did Samuel respond to what Saul had uh, done? Remember, and Saul began to make all kinds of excuses why he did what he uh, did. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 20, uh, verse 22, this is exactly what Samuel said to Saul. To obey is better than to uh, sacrifice. And that was one of the uh, uh, suggestions uh, that Saul had offered, that he kept some of the cattle uh, for the purpose of offering the best of the cattle uh, for sacrifices unto God, but that was uh, not true. Now, someone may be thinking, I know I'm to obey God. 
and I know what it is to dwell upon that mountain top. And isn't that the kind of a sense of emotion that you experience, that you feel when you know you're right in the center of God's will for your life and you've, you've triumphed over temptation and you've, you've been obedient. You just feel like you know, you're standing on top of the uh, mountain. Because it's sort of like a, the top of joy and the top of a blessing. But then all of a sudden, later on in our Christian walk and experience, we fall. And we come tumbling down off of that mountain. Because this time around, we've given ourselves over to temptation and sin. Well, that brings us to our fourth point and last point, And that is the valley of despondency. And for many of us, that's our experience as well. We go from that you know, mountaintop experience down into the valley of despondency because we fail to obey. And then, you know, the enemy seizes the opportunity to begin to you know, condemn us and, and tell us that you know, we're not worthy of being called the child of, of God, trying to stick that wedge between us and our relationship with God. Well, God has something that he uh, wants to uh, say to us in this marvelous verse as relating to our failures. Set apart, notice, to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that word sprinkling carries along with it the idea of cleansing. So in other words, God has made provision for our cleansing when we give ourselves over to temptation and fall into sin. There is this cleansing. So, suppose we yield to temptation, commit some sin, and fall from victory off of the top of that mountain into the valley of despondency to defeat. What then? Well, God, in His merciful plan of redemption, has provided for every need. And yes, a defeated Christian should never be the case, Remember, God has made it possible for us to be victorious and overcome temptation no matter what we are uh, facing. There's no temptation such as common to man, the Bible tells us, but will with that, that temptation make a way for us to be able to escape. We're told that in the book of uh, Corinthians. Paul uh, reminds us of that. But if we do, if we fail through the blood of Jesus Christ, go back to verse 2, through the blood of Jesus Christ, immediate cleansing is possible for the sinning saint. How's that? By confessing to the Lord, we may instantly return to the mountaintop experience. So never hesitate to confess to God. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sin, God is faithful to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, all of this is made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're talking about an immediate and complete forgiveness of our sin. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of 1 Peter. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can also listen online by going to the Resources tab.
Otherwise, you can find them on one place and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. You can also watch our fully recorded services on Vimeo. Just follow the link at our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're ever in or near the Midtown Manhattan area and are looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here, and you can reserve your seat at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. You are welcome to join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, please don't hesitate to give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram by following the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.